Local media outlets are essential. In 2020, as communities, businesses, and citizens came to terms with a pandemic that disrupted the flow of daily life, the need for accurate local information escalated. Information including which businesses were open, which were closed, where to get tested, and vaccinated. When media organizations closed their newsrooms and went remote, the reporting did not stop. They held local government accountable, documented historic moments for social justice, shared the humanity behind tragedy. Meanwhile, the funding for that work was drying up. Businesses whose ads helped support the media were closed. Revenue disappeared. Donating today at SaveChicagoMedia.org can ensure your local newsroom continues reporting the stories that matter despite the current economy. Investing in local media is funding your community. Give today and help us do the work that matters. Donate now at SaveChicagoMedia.org. Bienvenidos a todos. You are listening to the Paseo Podcast, where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. My name is Joshua Smeza de Leon, and I want to thank you for downloading this episode. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are streamed, give this podcast a like and subscribe to it. It makes a world of difference. We started this podcast as a way to bring attention to the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here in Paseo Boricua in Chicago and around the world. From La Isla to the diaspora, we hope you enjoy what you hear. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Paseo Podcast. Keep up with us at Paseo Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We also post the interview portions of our episodes on our YouTube channel. Just type in Paseo Podcast and we'll pop right up. While you're there, like our videos and subscribe to our channel. Also, while we're talking about subscribing, uh, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe there, um, leave a review, a nice review, positive review, and give us a five-star rating. We're currently rated five stars on Apple Podcasts. We have a a few reviews on there, uh, but would love to see more. I really think that would be a big help um, and a big way that you can get involved in helping the podcast grow. Um, If you want to follow me, I'm at JS DeLeon on Twitter. If you want to pitch a story, reach out to us on our website, basilmedia.org. On today's show, we welcome Dr. Lisa Calvente. She is a communications and black studies scholar. We're going to discuss her connection to the notorious B.I.G., her work and her research, her connection to Puerto Rican culture after her father's passing, a lawsuit she's filed against DePaul University stemming from her 10-year process, and a whole lot more. But before we get into the interview, I wanted to share a couple of podcast-related updates. You heard a little commercial at the top of the show, and we'll we'll play it again in Spanish at the end, but it's related to the podcast in a big way. In case you missed it, the Paseo Podcast shared a big announcement yesterday in partnership with the Chicago Independent Media Alliance, a project launched in 2019 by the Chicago Reader. This week, we launched our month-long campaign to raise support for Chicago-area independent media. We're joining 42 other Chicago area media outlets representing a wide cross-section of community media in the city and nearby suburbs in this effort to save Chicago media. This includes media serving black communities, Latinx communities, Asian American, uh, immigrant, LGBTQIA+, and other Chicago communities. So um, why are we doing this? Well, uh, you know, in in 2020, um, you know, we started this podcast in 2019. So Looking back to 2020, when media organizations closed their newsrooms and went remote, 
the reporting didn't stop. And at the Paseo podcast, we continued to cover local features of Puerto Rican thought leaders, like our episode with Illinois State Senator Cristina Pasiones Zayas and Jason Donez discussing the Illinois culturally responsive teaching and leading standards and how that would affect uh, students in the classroom. Um, we also covered policy in Congress and on La Isla that impacts Boricuas in the diaspora and in Puerto Rico. Um, you may have heard that one episode we did a few back, uh, I think it was episode 54, that was on the Puerto Rican Self-Determination Act and what impact that bill's passage or the competing bill in Congress currently, what that would mean for La Isla. Uh, and what that would mean for Puerto Ricans in the diaspora. Um, even our last episode, when we talked about the murder of Keshla Rodriguez and uh, budget cuts that are being proposed by the Fiscal Control Board for the University of Puerto Rico. And we also shared stories about Puerto Rican migration due to insufficient funding for basic social services in BIPOC communities. We, along with other outlets, strive to hold local government accountable, documented historical moments for social justice, and share the humanity behind tragedy. So if you're able to support the work we do here at the podcast or the work of Chicago independent media as a whole, I mean, it's great if you don't donate to us, but if you want to donate to other outlets or just Chicago independent media as a whole, that's all good. I just seeing uh, any level of support is appreciated. So if you want to lend a hand to the podcast, if you, if you want to give, visit savechicagomedia.org to donate and to ensure independent media like the Paseo podcast continues reporting the stories that matter despite the current economy. I've also included the link in the show notes for reference in case you want to learn more. All this to say, you know, the website's super easy to use. Uh, it offers the option to donate any amount that you want directly to the podcast or for it to be split evenly amongst all the other outlets participating in the campaign. Um, for us here at the podcast, you know, we're a small but scrappy group of volunteers. So anything you can give us helps us do the work that matters. Uh, again, every bit helps. So um, I also wanted to drop uh, a reminder about our June 12th Basel podcast discussion group event in partnership with the Chicago Public Library. We first announced this last week, but as a recap, uh, the Chicago Public Library is hosting a monthly Basel podcast discussion group on topics we cover right here on the show. As I said before, the first event will be on June 12th. It's going to be virtual and anyone can join in. I'll also be there too, of course. So if you want to dive deeper into the topics we discuss in the show and, and meet me through the screen, at least, uh, then check out the partner section of our website, baselmedia.org, and click on the Chicago Public Library logo in the partners section. Or you can go to the events tab on shypublib.org. That's C-H-I-P-U-B-L-I-B.org. Once there, go to the events on June 12th or just type in Basel Podcast and we'll pop right up. Click on the event and register to be a part of what I'm sure is going to be a really meaningful discussion on Boricua issues. Okay, that's all we have for this week. No news rundown today because I've been really busy and I'm sure you listening, you've probably been really busy. You know how those weeks go. It's been a week. Um, so much so that I haven't been able to really keep up with any news. But uh, if you've been keeping up with news, reach out to us on social media and tell us what Puerto Rican news stories are capturing your attention these days. We'd love to hear about them. With that said, now let's jump into our interview with Dr. Lisa Calvente. Dr. Lisa Calvente. She is a communications and black studies scholar. Dr. Calvente, welcome to the Paseo podcast. How are you today? 
I am fine. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here, at least virtually. There's a lot to talk about. You have a pretty awesome background and uh, we have a little bit of a DePaul connection. So um, we're, we're not going to touch on all things DePaul, but we are going to touch on a lot of your background, uh, what you study in. Um, we're just really, again, just really happy uh, that you're on the show today. But before we get into the nitty gritty of things, uh, Dr. Calavente, can you share with our audience what they should know about you? Sure. So as you said, I'm a communication and Black studies scholar. Uh, my primary areas are the Black diaspora, cultural studies, and performance studies. I specialize in the critical interrogations of um, coloniality and the experiences, representations, and processes of being part of the Black diaspora theories as well. You have a, a pretty diverse background too. You're not just Puerto Rican. You actually have Puerto Rican, half Vietnamese. If we could just start first with, you know, we do try to ask our guests on the show, you know, what part of Puerto Rico are they from? Are their family from? Um, just curious <laughs> to hear from you. Like, where, where, where are your, where are your family from on La Isla? My grandparents, both my grandparents are from San Juan. The Puerto Rican side of my family is basically from Spanish Harlem. We tote the island of Manhattan as our home space. So we're New Yorkans. Um, I have elders in my family in their late 80s that have never been to the island of Puerto Rico. My family, in terms of my grandparents, my grandmother came to Manhattan around the Harlem Renaissance, around the time of the Harlem Renaissance. And her siblings also came there as well around the same time. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a time to be in New York City during the Harlem Renaissance. Yeah. My gosh, yeah. the stories they can tell, I'm sure. Um, I, speaking, of, speaking of stories, I did hear you give an interview um, in another podcast, and you had mentioned uh, your father passing away when you were, you were very young. You're at the age of five, you know, thinking about your father's connection to the island, uh, thinking about your connection to your Puerto Rican roots. Like, did you ever struggle at all with finding a connection to Puerto Rico um, with your, your father passing when you were so young? You know, my grandparents, when they got older, they did what a lot of Puerto Ricans do, right? So they went back to San Juan. So I spent a lot of summers <laughs> in Puerto Rico. Um, and even prior to that, like, I'm very close with the Puerto Rican side of my family. But my mom um, learned her profession from my grandmother. My grandmother took her to a Dominican sweatshop to sew pieces, right? So she did factory work. So she ended up moving from being a factory worker in sweatshops to working as a sample hand in the fashion district. My family really stepped up to help parent me when my father passed. Wow. I'm very close to my family. So you are a communications and black studies scholar. Uh, of all the things to study, of all the things to teach about, of all the things to write about, why communications and Black studies? I mean, I can answer the Black studies way better than I can answer the <laughs> communication. So let me start there. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> you know, when I went to Brooklyn College, 
That of course is at city, a part of City University of New York. I was um, a Sikh student. So um, a search for education, elevation, and knowledge. So I entered as a Sikh student, which is typically a program for um, young people who come from financially disadvantaged homes, who are likely first year um, or first generation college students, who people feel that they need help and support through their college experience or else they will eventually drop out. So I entered as a Sikh student and I graduated, you know, as a Ford Colloquium scholar, a Mellon scholar. Um, and the reason why I'm saying all of this is because Puerto Rican and Latino studies, then it was called Puerto Rican studies at Brooklyn College played a major role in my education. Um, in terms of mentorship, in terms of really shaping how I saw myself. And of course, my own experiences really played into that. And the way that I see Black studies, which is the study and critique of the Western world, of Western history. And what I really learned from that undergraduate education is that there's something really messed up about the Western world and modernity, the world that we live in today. And it's my understanding that you, you've you actually conducted anti-racism research that centers primarily on peoples of the Black diaspora. What was that research that you were conducting and, and can you share some of the findings? So what I do is really honor the experiences of everyday people, which means the experiences of anti-Black, anti-Brown racism from people who have touched my life and also people that I don't know but have chosen to trust me with their stories. Um, so that's pretty much what I do generally, but specifically, um, Wow, I mean, I've published on the Notorious B.I.G., right? And his work on, you know, what I call Black love. What I do think that hip hop does is really demonstrate to the world that, you know, there is a love in and for Blackness in a world that hates Blackness, right? The larger, longer term work that I have done and I'm still doing is my book entitled Moving Blackness. What is it? Black Circulation, Racism and Relations of Home Space. So that's my real focus, right? How can we actually create change? How can we create a better world, right? Given the tools that we have. I would imagine it almost consumes you like you start to see patterns and you start to see kind of history repeat itself a little bit and you're you you are probably you probably have a heightened awareness of uh my things like microaggressions in your experience in the classroom like how do you have these discussions with students because i could imagine depending on where a student is traveling from what their own lived experience is uh it could create a, a space of affirmation but it could also create a, a space of uncomfortability. How do you have those tough conversations with people that aren't exactly playing with the same deck of cards as you are? 
what I do is I start from the beginning. And the beginning for me is always about colonization and enslavement, conquest, right? So what actually happened there to create, you know, these relationships of power, the, these structures that continue to reinforce the same ideas, the same practices that those who were once colonized and, and enslaved, what are the processes that keep those particular people exposed to violence, isolated, regardless of what kind of civil rights they have. And so we begin there. We begin with how the world is actually socially and materially constructed in particular kinds of ways that point to power relationships. This isn't natural, if you will. This isn't about an evolution where some people are behind a natural evolution where some people are behind and some people are ahead, that was actually created. What was the impetus to create the world that we live in today? You mentioned, uh, you know, being second-class citizens or feeling like, mm -hmm. feeling like you're second-class citizens. And it reminds me of the relationship between Puerto Rico and the United States. Absolutely. I mean, under the guise of America is going to protect you, we've had things like Promesa, even called a mongrel race. You've had things like the Jones Act. Um, Hurricane Maria is a perfect example. You know, whenever I, I talk to Boricuas, you know, the conversation of the American-Puerto Rico relationship and say, well, we have that citizenship. I, I too, like to go back to the beginning. Then we start to, like, peel back, peel back the onion here and like, OK, well, why do you think America decided to, quote unquote, save Puerto Rico from Spain? And then we start going into this snowball effect. Number one, Spain didn't give us anything, right? The island at that point was aligned with other colonized spaces, Cuba in particular. We earned independence mm -hmm. and quickly lost that independence because of the United States. That's the thing about history, right? Like... It can be made, created to support a particular narrative. People do actually misdefine very significant terms, right? So part of my job in the classroom is to help define particular terms, right? So racism, for example. So I tend to look at racism as something that is structural, something that is institutional, ideological, right? Something that's always connected to power. So, you know, if you can say that we live in a racist, homophobic, classist, white supremacist society, and we have learned, as you pointed out, a particular kind of education through these institutions, right? If you're learning all of this, well, that means you are racist, sexist, sexist, homophobic, classist, right? Regardless of who you are. What makes you not those things is your ability as a social agent and actor in your own life to be conscious of what you're doing and work against that every day because your default, your impulse is going to be the very things that you have learned. Mm. Well said. 
You know, I think it's easy for people to get defensive whenever they're confronted yes. with with their their prejudices or mm -hmm. um, you know problematic behavior, language, uh, what have you. It's okay to not know everything. It's okay, you know, to to kind of feel like you're in the dark on things. Everybody's had different experiences. That's why we're in these spaces like higher ed have these debates yep. to share those experiences and to learn from one another. Yes, absolutely. And this is why it's so important for us, you know, as people of not just the Puerto Rican diaspora, but the Black diaspora to acknowledge the fact that we are indeed, right, Black and Puerto Rican, regardless of what we look like, right? For me, you know, it's very important that I understand myself as both Black and Puerto Rican. Well, with that identity in mind, I mean, what has your experience been like teaching in higher education? I do think, especially Ooh, in the last few years, for those of us who looked at the academy as a place to not reinforce the status quo, but to work against, you know, particular knowledge, to produce alternative forms of knowledge, well, it's going to be a struggle, right? You're critiquing the very space that pays you, <laughs> right? Um, you know, and in history, you don't get rewarded for that, right? So if you critique white supremacy, if you critique predominantly white institutions for marginalization of all kinds, not just race-based, right? Um, they're not going to then say, well, here's your reward, right? They're going to react. And so I have experienced those reactions. In relation to your experience in higher ed in a higher in a um, white dominated space like DePaul University, and again, full transparency for people listening, I am a graduate of DePaul University. I worked at DePaul University, so did, so did Dr. Calvente. Dr. Calvente, you are in current litigation against DePaul University or with DePaul University stemming from your tenure process. Um, and the outcome of that. Can you first start off by explaining, you know, what's involved in the tenure process? And if you can speak to it, why do you believe you were denied that tenure? I am suing DePaul University and acting provost Salma Ganem because of discrimination, retaliation, and breach of contract. So what that results in is the fact that I believe that I earned tenure and was denied tenure based on those three things. In terms of the tenure process, it depends on what university you are in. DePaul University at this point requires three external reviewers, but that was not the case, let's say five years ago where they didn't have external reviewers through the tenure process. So the interesting thing is, you know, the, for those of us who go through the tenure process in more recent times, we have more difficult 
times getting through the tenure process than our senior colleagues who did not have to jump through as many hoops. Hmm. So you have these external reviewers that, you know, review your dossier, but what they're really looking at is research, teaching, and service at DePaul University. So because DePaul University is a teaching university, as they claim, they put more weight on teaching. I'm assuming if it's a teaching university, we're talking about student evaluations then? We're talking about student evaluations, um, student reports. They also observe, so you have peer observations. So your colleagues, your senior colleagues will come in and observe your teaching. They, you know, analyze your syllabi, all of that stuff. And in, in this pro in your tenure process, it's my understanding that you got some pretty good evaluations and reports, no? Okay. Absolutely. I had very high evaluations. So the students enjoyed what uh, you were bringing to the classroom, what they were coming away with from the classroom. So this, this big piece <laughs> on whether or not you're going to uh, get tenure at a teaching university this, this big piece that hinders on the feedback that you get from students, those that report, those that learn from you, you're good there. Isn't it essentially a lock if the students like you? Wouldn't a university want to keep a professor that the students really enjoy learning from? In theory, yes. This has been an issue, an ongoing issue for faculty of color, women faculty, but I think what you end up seeing in the last few years, especially as, you know, around the time that I went to school and then decided to go to graduate school and you had all these programs to get minorities into graduate school, what you end up seeing is that for those of us who've gone through this track, who have dedicated their lives to social justice and fighting against not just racism, but really anti-Black and anti-Brown racism, you have people who are not getting tenured, who are not being hired for tenure track positions. So this who is a larger are, trend in higher education right now. Yes, who are terminated even prior to their formal reviews. All of us, what we have in common is our fight against um, anti-Black, anti-Brown racism, our fight for social justice, our, our line of knowledge production that exists outside of and against the status quo. So you had good marks on evaluations, good marks um, from, from the grad reports. Like what what was the reason that the, that DePaul University gave you to say, we appreciate you, you know, putting forth your, is the right way to say application for tenure? Is that the right way to articulate? Yeah, tenure, tenure, application, tenure application, tenure promotion application. But, you know, this is the reason why we're not going to accept it. You had, I believe it was seven students that were highlighted um, out of a few hundred, I think it was a couple of hundred student evaluations. And then they took out two of them because two of them were hearsay. So you did have five students say that they were uncomfortable in my classes. Okay. Hmm. 
I imagine that throughout teaching at DePaul University for other for other faculty members, they might have had five students that did not like their classes or their approach or were uncomfortable. I, I imagine that I'm not the only one who didn't receive a perfect five score, but I mean, my evaluations were pretty high. And like I said, if you have five students or even you can include that the other two, seven students out of hundreds of evaluations, I, I think that that's pretty good. Yeah. Anybody that anybody that gives out a survey or an evaluation would tell you it's near impossible to get a perfect score. The University Board of Tenure Promotion did support my tenure. So one of them did point to, you know, um, and I pointed to this myself. And again, the newspapers pointed to this to a misrepresentation of student evaluation. So I said, you know, the seven, which was really five because two of them were tossed because of hearsay out of a couple, I forgot the number, but I think it was a couple of hundred. And the College of Communication had represented those numbers as 55% of my course evaluations. Whoa, talk about a discrepancy, jeez. Okay, so you had support in your in your corner, but the buck stops as the jefe with the jefe in charge at this point in your in your tenure process and you get the no. Interesting. To me, it's just, okay, you don't like what she's saying, you don't like what she's about, so she's not the right quote unquote fit, even though your presence and your teaching can is benefiting students and it's shown in the, yeah. the the bar that we use to evaluate teachers as a student body that's your evaluations my regret is you know the fact that i can no longer teach depaul students we need those bipoc voices and perspectives in in higher ed but I want to talk a little bit about, you know, what's next for you from this point, like beyond the beyond the the lawsuit. Like it's, it's my understanding. And I think you touched on this earlier that you are writing a, you're writing a book and it's set to mm -hmm. publish, I think, later this year. So I would love to hear a bit more about that. Well, what's this book about? The book is done. It's it's okay. under review. Right. So um, I look at circulation, which is part of communication. So circulation, movement as you know a way in which people's uh under the umbrella of blackness communicate survive reject and resist the status quo analyzing how everyday regular people decolonize right their spaces um and they do that through stories through storytelling i cannot imagine my life without all the interweaving of storied experiences from my family members from my community and even though we don't have spaces those formal spaces in education 
um, that we would like, we have created modes of circulation, of movement, of something very different. And that's what I talk about, right? It's not in the future. We've already created this, right? We just have to highlight it as such. I became a scholar to produce that alternative knowledge, to create change in the world. The main goal is to produce knowledge for change, to be, as you said, a revolutionary. Now, I might not be an armed revolutionary, but I'm armed with thought, with knowledge, right? And that's how I intend to change the world. Do you have a name for the book yet? Moving Blackness, um, Black Circulation, Racism, and Relations of Home Space. Now, I have another project that really talks about and delves into what people term critical university studies, critiquing the university as a whole. And that is a co-edited piece that also delves into, you know, the work that students and former students have done um, around my case and really just capturing the students and their ability to see themselves as actors for change in their space. And I think what they did was really beyond me. It wasn't about me um, anymore. And what they did was basically, you know, expose the university for their tenure processes, faults in the tenure process. What they really were doing was enacting their own sense of agency, enacting, you know, this idea that they can actually make a difference. To me, that's revolutionary. This project highlights not only their work, but the experiences of people like myself that have been exposed to people trying to silence them. I'm a fucking intellectual. The academy is just how I make my money. Mm. The work continues. You know, kudos to the students that wrote, especially in that DePaulia article. I mean, just that timeline. I encourage everybody, we'll put this in the show notes, but take a look at that DePaulia article because if you want more context after listening to this, um, definitely go to our show notes, click the link, read that article. We're going to take a quick pause for the cause, pero no se muevan, porque when we come back, Dr. Calvente and I are going to wrap up our discussion with her sharing microaggressions she's experienced using chopsticks to make Puerto Rican food, how she's connected to the Notorious B.I.G., and what she is most obsessed with today. Stay with us. Los medios de comunicación locales son esenciales. En 2020, cuando las comunidades, las empresas y los ciudadanos se enfrentaron a una pandemia que interrumpió el flujo de la vida cotidiana, aumentó la necesidad de información local precisa. Información que incluyera qué negocios estaban abiertos, cuáles cerrados, dónde hacerse las pruebas, dónde encontrar ayuda. Pero cuando los medios de comunicación cerraron sus redacciones y se alejaron, la información no se detuvo. Exigieron responsabilidades al gobierno local, documentaron momentos históricos para la justicia social, compartieron la humanidad 
humanidad detrás de la tragedia. Mientras tanto, la financiación de ese trabajo se estaba agotando. Las empresas cuyos anuncios ayudaban a sostener los medios de comunicación cerraron o se paralizaron. Los ingresos desaparecieron. Donar hoy en SaveChicagoMedia.org puede garantizar que su redacción local siga informando de las historias que importan a pesar de la economía actual. Invertir en los medios de comunicación locales es financiar tu comunidad. Dona hoy para ayudarnos a hacer el trabajo que importa. Dona ahora en SaveChicagoMedia.org. We want to take this moment to say thank you again for listening. When you download our podcast or subscribe to the podcast itself, that makes a world of difference. So gracias for taking your time to listen to us. We also want to take this time to thank the sponsor of today's episode. This episode would not be possible without the generous support of the Puerto Rican Cultural Center. The Puerto Rican Cultural Center, located at 2546 West Division Street, right here in Chicago, is a community-based, grassroots, educational, health, and cultural services organization founded on the principles of self-determination, self-actualization, and self-sufficiency that is all activist-oriented. For more information on the work they do, Give them a visit at their website at prcc-chgo.org. Again, that's prcc-chgo.org. Now, if you or anyone else you know would like to be a sponsor of the Paseo Podcast, please email us at paseopod at gmail.com. That's p-a-s-e-o-p-o-d at gmail.com. Tell them Joshua from Humble Park sent you. I do want to shift gears. We do take some listener questions. That's so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some rapid fire listener questions out your way, if that's okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, okay. We only ask the hardest of hard-hitting questions here on the Paseo Podcast. <laughs> I would love to hear from you, like if you could make a hybrid dish with both Puerto Rican food and Vietnamese food, what would it be? Oh my goodness, that's difficult. I remember inviting someone here, one of my colleagues from African and Black diaspora, and she saw me cooking and I was frying platanos, but I was turning them with chopsticks. And she was like, <laughs> if this isn't some kind of like, you know, cultural fusion, I don't know what is. But to me, it was normal to do that because that's how I grew up. Okay, this one is a, this is not related to food. Uh, this one's related to microaggressions. So can you name one microaggression you get the most? I'm never believed to be a professor. So I can recall so many times that I was on campus and people would be like, you know, you know how in departments you have someone at the front desk mm -hmm. and they're like, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, may I help you? And I'm like, mm, yeah, I work here. Oh, <laughs> my, my, office, yeah. my office is back there. Oh my um, I remember one time in graduate school, I had a meeting and the person's assistant asked me for my green card. I was like, what? <laughs> and you know, I never met, I never met that professor. I left. That's a hard one. Um, I'm sure a lot of people listening have, I'm sure have had similar experiences being questioned on whether or not they belong in a space. 
I'm assuming you are a uh, fan of hip hop here. I am. Okay. <laughs> I taught a hip hop class. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, <laughs> if you had to choose between Notorious B.I.G. or Tupac as the better rapper, who would you choose? Notorious B.I.G., hands down. Ah, you're biased. But, you're biased. Look, I'm biased. I'm, you. Uh, <laughs> like, so I was born, I was born, I spent like the first year of my life in Harlem, but I grew up in Brooklyn. When I was in high school, I met notorious big before he was a notorious big right before his album dropped i hung out on his mother's porch so yeah i'm gonna say notorious big hands down i can't even like counter that that's amazing okay last question we ask all of our guests to round out our show what are they most obsessed with and it can be related to puerto rican culture unrelated to, to puerto rican culture what are you obsessed with Overall, I'm always obsessed with multiple understandings of revolution. So revolution and social change. So that's like a steady 90s films. So 90s, like urban films. So, you know, King of New York, Deep Cover, Mo Better Blues, Do the Right Thing. And I'm like, these films were visionary. So just watching these films and especially something like Deep Cover and King of New York, which, you know, on the surface is about like violence, right? Violence in the urban space, drugs, etc. But really it's a critique of neoliberalism. Well, Dr. Galvente, thanks for your time. Thanks so much for having me. I look forward to our next meeting. Likewise, igualmente. <laughs> That's our show for today, familia. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did or didn't, let us know, podcast at gmail.com or at podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Stay tuned next week for an all-new episode of the podcast. Our guest next week will be Monica Cruz. She's a Boricua labor reporter for Breakthrough News, so you don't want to miss that. Until then, as always... If you want to pitch a story idea, nominate yourself or someone else for an interview, or share a news story you'd like us to discuss in the show, visit our website, baseomedia.org, to do just that. See you next week. Without our awesome guests, this podcast would not be possible. And without you, our listeners, this would not be possible. So we really appreciate you listening. If you want to reach out to the show, connect with us by visiting our website, baseomedia.org emailing us at baseopodcast at gmail.com and following us at baseopodcast on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a tip, want to pitch a story, or send us a compliment, we love to hear from you. Thanks for downloading this episode and see you next week. Cuídate.